general greetings in India that I learned this summer on my trip. So if everybody would stand. We're going to learn a lot about Indian culture this morning, which is very, very neat. But this is how we greet one another as Christians in India. We say, Jai Masiki. And you put your hands together and bow. Let's try it all together, okay? And everybody goes, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Then we go, Jai Masiki. But he was very, very good about letting me get used to the 
smell, and I got over that quickly. Why did I go? I was looking at a Christian magazine, music magazine, actually, one day while I was at work. But that's an English tutor, you don't do a whole lot at work, unless I'm And I was reading a story about Natalie Grant. And I don't know if any of you have heard of her. She is a Christian music singer. She had been out of it for a while, and then she had come back. And she was telling her story about why she had come back and how she had overcome certain obstacles in her life. And she had a special segment in the article about girls in India who were sold into sexual slavery. Some at the age of five. They were sold to foreigners who came to visit for their pleasure. Many of the times, these girls' parents, um, that's the only source of income that they had. And so they would give their daughters away to raise money by being sold to foreign men. You know you're passionate about something, but it makes you very, very angry, and you want to do something about it. And I knew that I wanted to do something about it. And at that time, it was only a dream. Um, something that was very far from ever happening for me. But I called up my boyfriend Nathan and I said, Hey, if I ever got to go to India, would you come with me? And he just laughed at me. He was like, Why are you going to go to India? But I explained it to him and he was like, Yeah, I'd go with you in a heartbeat. And I never made summer plans. I usually made my plans far ahead of time. So I knew if I was going to work in a camp or if I was going to come home for the summer or whatever it was going to be that I was going to do. And nothing. Nothing opened up. Everything that I had set up to do never happened, or the door shut, and I, I didn't understand why, what the Lord would have me do through that. And then one day, I went to work, and my coworker Amy asked me if I'd ever thought about going to India. I was like, yeah, I have! And she told me that there was an opportunity for first Baptist Houston. Am I making noise? <laughs> yeah, it's cracking a little bit. Sorry. And we were going to go. 
and we were going to take that opportunity. And I didn't know if I was going to be able to help these girls who had been sold into sexual slavery. I didn't know if I was going to come by that because that was not the purpose of our trip. But God blessed it abundantly. And let me read this with you. Isaiah chapter 62. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not keep quiet until her righteousness goes forth like brightness and her salvation like a torch that is burning. The nations will see your righteousness and all future glory. And you will be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord will designate. You will also be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. It will no longer be said to you forsaken, nor to your land will it any longer be said desolate, but you will be called, My delight is in her, and your land married. For the Lord delights in you, and to him your land will be married. For as a young man marries a virgin, so your son will marry you, and as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so your God will rejoice over you. To me, that was the future of India. I wanted for them to shine with the righteousness of God. I wanted them to hear about the saving power of Jesus and that the way for us to have a relationship with God is through Jesus Christ and Him alone. And eternal life came through Him. And I longed for this, this place, this country, to no longer be said forsaken or desolate, but for the Lord to cry out, My delight is in her. And then for me specifically, came verse 6. And this was just, this was me. On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have appointed watchmen. All day and all night, they will never keep silent. You who remind the Lord, take no rest for yourself, and give him no rest, until he establishes and makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. And then down to verse 10. Go through, go through the gate. Clear the way for the people. Build up, build up the highways, remove the stones, lift up the standard over the people. And in verse 12, and they will call him the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. And you will be called thought out, a city not forsaken. To me, this was my commissioning chapter of the Bible. This was the reason I was going, to go through the gate, to declare to people that salvation comes through Jesus. Now, how did I do that? As a woman, I could not preach to men there. It is not part of the culture. I did get to share my testimony everywhere we went. I got to love on children. I got to give food to those who didn't have them. I got to hug people. It was an opportunity to love. And that is what the Lord has called us to do, to step out of our comfort zone and to love people. To love them the way that God has loved us. Because His love is unfailing. Told you about the plane ride and a little bit about the culture. We stayed with Pastor Nazir Masi and his family. He is a pastor in Chandigarh. Do you have that map, Alex? Pull up that map. I'll come and point. Kind of a smaller version. We flew into New Delhi. It's okay, we got you. Right up there. <laughs> then we went north up to Chandigarh, where it's in the box. And then we also traveled all over northern India to Amritsar, to Abhor, which is on the Pakistan border. We also went up to Himachal Pradesh, into the mountains, a place called Manali, which was incredible. 
back to Tanagar. Most of our work was in Tanagar. Our daily schedule. First of all, we started out in a Baptist school, and at the school, it's not just Baptist kids. We had Hindu, Sikh, Muslim, um, atheist kids, and they all come to the school. And here's a picture of us with them. They were excited to see Americans. And we got to lead songs for them, and Nathan would give a short message. They spoke English, which was very great. We didn't have to have a translator with us. So we would start every morning singing with them. This is Father Abraham, so they were shaking their stuff. And um, there was no air conditioning. It was great. We just got to sing with them. We had anywhere from 4-year-olds to 16-year-olds at this school. And this was an opportunity. These kids are sponsored by people in the state to um, be able to go to school. Many of these kids would never have the opportunity to have an education if it were not for this school. It was started in 1986 by Nazir Masih and his wife. And so their family would take us up to the school every day, and we would get to play with these kids. Then in the afternoons, it was very, very, very hot, and you did not want to go outside. So we took rest. It's okay then. <laughs> and it was nice to take rest in the middle of the, of the day. We'd usually have a late lunch, and then everybody would sleep. Then at night, we would travel to different house churches with different pastors in the area. And this is one of the many house churches that we were at. Um, on the very the right, and then over one man is Pastor Barkat, and we learned so much from this man. He was a man of true wisdom um, and really loved the Lord. He said everything was credited by the grace of God. And this is a range of different families that came together that night and that were in the area. And that's Amy and I in the back with them. The little boy in the front was named Moses, and he was so excited to tell us about his favorite Bible story, which was about Moses, of course. And he talked about the different plagues that came, and one of them was about the lepers. That was his favorite part of the play. And he said, the lepers, they look like you people. <laughs> and he wanted to us because we were lighter skin than he was. So um, that was one of the house churches. We also traveled to villages with different pastors. And we have some pictures of the villages that we traveled to. These kids were beautiful. Um, they didn't have much. But they were excited to hear about Jesus, and they were excited to have someone to play with them. And we had suckers and stuff with us, and that's in a different village that we traveled to, somewhere in Tanagar, and on Ritzker, and Abor, and everywhere we traveled. Nathan brought his guitar, so he was letting the boys um, from it as, as they wanted to. I think the pick and the string broke that day, but <laughs> we were okay, because we had backups for that. And when we would go, um, Amy and I would be able to share our testimony and to say how we had come to know the Lord and obstacles that we had overcome. Um, because some people portray a Christian life as always easy, and uh, we knew that not to be true, but we knew that we had hope, and um, we, ha- we had hope in the Lord, and we had hope that one day we are going to have a perfect relationship with Him in heaven. And so we were able to share our testimonies with them, and then Nathan was able to share a specific passage from the Bible and to talk on that through a translator, because many of the adults did not know English. I wanted to share a couple of stories with you before I show you just a, a slideshow of some of the different pictures from there. In one of the villages that we traveled to, we had several people that came that were Hindu, and we had several people that came that were Muslim and Sikh that day. And sometimes we would never be able to talk to the people afterwards um, because communication was so difficult. But one day we saw a man come in, and this day 
some reason, Nathan said, that man knows the Lord. You can see it all over his face. I was like, okay, okay, that's cool. And that day, Nathan shared the gospel message in a very powerful way. The Lord was truly with him and speaking through him. The next day, the pastor that we had been traveling with called us while we were at the school and said, you have got to come with me once you're done at school. No take rest today, you are coming with me. And so we were like, okay, that's cool. We went to the diligence, and we saw this man again. He approached us as we drove up. And we wondered why he had called us to his home, but he had gathered all of his family members, which is about 30 or so, to welcome us for snacks and chai while it was 115 degrees a day. And we sat down with him, and I knew that this man had something very, very important to share with us. And he began to tell us his story through the translator. And as I watched his face, I could see a change within him. He talked about his past at first. He said, I was an alcoholic. I was addicted to drugs. Where once my family loved me, they rejected me. I was such an angry person that they didn't want to be around me anymore. And so I felt all alone. And I would offer up incense to the Hindu gods, and I would ask them to plead with them to get out of this, this alcoholic stage that I was in. And that my family would once love me, that I wouldn't be an angry person anymore. And I kept offering up box after box of incense that stick to the gods. And they never helped me. He said I just became more and more and more angry because this emptiness in my life just kept growing. My family did not ever want to be around me. And this continued for 30 years. And he said this man came to our village. And he kept coming. He kept telling us about Jesus and about how he was our hope. And he was the only way that we could have a relationship with God, a loving God and a good God. And he said, I just got angry at this man. He kept coming back to me for months after months, and I did not like him. In fact, I hated him. He said, but one day things got so bad that I decided I would go to church with my family. I didn't want to, but they were going, and I thought I'd go. He said he stepped into the church building, and with the first song that was sung, he felt a weight lifted off of him. And he didn't know why. But he felt like things were going to be okay. The day after he had gone to church, we visited his village. And Nathan told him, and told the, all the village people that came, about the saving power of Jesus. And he said, that first pastor came to me for month after month after month, I was angry. But you come to me and you share once. And I knew that Jesus was the only way. And I accepted him yesterday into my heart. And I know that he is the only one that will be able to save me. He said it wasn't about you. It was about God. And we knew that to be true. But he looked, he grabbed his box of incense sticks, and he threw them on the ground. And he said, no good. <laughs> And you know, it's not proper in an Indian culture for a woman to hug a man, especially an American woman, to hug an Indian man. I can't, I can't explain it enough that I wanted to run up to him and embrace him and welcome him into the kingdom of God at that moment. 
But I got this vision as we were listening to him that one day I will be healthy. And that he is going to be with me there. And I'm going to run up to him and I am going to praise him and rejoice with him that he has accepted the Lord. This is um, a picture, if you'll bring up the man with the fan. Uh, I didn't actually get a picture of the man, um, the alcoholic man, who's no longer an alcoholic. Um, but this is a man that looks much similar to him, and this was in the village where we met the man. Um, it just gives you an idea of what the mind looks like. There's one more story that I want to share with you, if you'll bring us the next picture, Alex. This boy in the middle is deaf. In his area, we visited about four villages, I believe. They were within a radius of about 20 miles. And every night we would go to different villages in the area. He came to everyone but would. He would leave two or three hours early if he needed to, to be there with us. And he could not hear anything. But when we were singing, he would slap it off feet. And it was great. And he always had a smile on his face. He was always serving the people. And we knew that he had a relationship with God. And many of the times in India, they would ask us to pray over individuals. They knew that with us, there was no power. But with the God that we served, there was healing. If you believe in him. And this boy came up to us, and the man that was with him said, Pray for this boy, that he will be healed. My faith was truly tested at that time. Thinking that this boy had been deaf since he was born. He was probably about 16 when we met him. And I asked, God, do I really believe that you can heal this boy? I was truly humbled at that point. I can be honest with you. So many times we talk about having faith in our God. And it was truly just the test at that time. But we prayed for him. And you know what? I know that whether that boy gets healed physically or not, his heart knows the Lord. And he was so excited to be with that congregation. After that one night that we prayed for him, we never saw him again. But he showed his love for serving those people. He was doing the band most of the time to keep the flies away and to keep people cool. He showed that he had the love of God in his heart through the way he cared for those people and how excited he was to hear about the Bible, to hear it being taught, how much he loved worshiping with the other Christians in the area. I learned so much from this deaf boy about what it means to live our lives for God. Those are just a couple of the stories um, that really impacted me in my time. In India, I could go on for days, I can honestly tell you. You have a question for me, please come and I will share with you in a heartbeat. There's something very, very important that I learned through my trip. First of all, that this trip was not about me. That it was about God. And it was about proclaiming the salvation through Jesus. It was about loving on people and being there for them. But there was something else I learned when I got back. I struggled. Because many times it's often easy to go to a different place and to tell about Jesus. And 
learned a lot about your church, and I know that y'all are doing a good job of telling people about Jesus. But so many times it's the hardest to do it where we live and around people that we know. You have a mission field right here in Palestine and in your neighborhood. You have the opportunity to tell about the saving power of Jesus. There's a lot of religious people here, just like there were in ATS, but a lot of them do not know Jesus and are not living their lives for him. We have a lot of churches, but are people living sold out like the disciples did for Jesus, proclaiming boldly the message of salvation? And I was torn to pieces because I realized that's not my life. I can go over to India and do it pretty easily, even though there's a, a language barrier. But what am I doing for the people that speak English in America? So I would challenge you, start here. If you don't have the opportunity to go to a different place, do it here. We are called to right here. God has you in Palestine for a reason. Sometimes I question why I was still here. Palestine, it's got Walmart for fun, okay? But we have an opportunity right here. Now, there are people in the world that have never heard. Go. If the Lord is calling you, go. Don't worry about money. God will provide. He did for me. $2,500. like a big chunk of money for a college kid. But he provided over more than we needed. And we got to leave that in India. Which is great. I'm going back this summer. I'm so excited to see those people once again. If you want to go to India and the Lord has tugged at your heart, come talk to me. We have room for more people. But there are so many different places for you to go. And God is asking us, just be willing. Wherever I'm going to send you, go. Don't worry about anything. Any physical things. And you know what, parents? Take your kids. It's not dangerous. And you know what? Even if it is, we are not called to safety. We are called to follow God with everything that we have. So if he is calling you to go, take up your family, and you head out of here, and you go talk to people about Jesus. But I just want you to realize it is an everyday part of your life. Not just a mission trip for five weeks, or two weeks, or four days. It starts right here in your heart with the desire to go. We're going to watch a short slideshow, and I'll be back with you guys next time. Think she's uh, passionate about what she's been doing. Um, one of the things that, that Colette did was she sent out emails uh, every two or three days, something like that. And, and I remember reading through those, and uh, it wasn't easy. But what, what was the hardest thing besides the video? You got used to that. But what you, you talked a lot about um, the spiritual climate there, that there seemed to be a, a Darkness, a, a spiritual oppression. Tell us a little bit about it. I think um, the first experience I got that was actually in Amsterdam. We hadn't even gotten to India yet. And I felt like it was such a dark place. I felt frustrated everywhere I went. We had conflict between the three of us. Uh, it was very difficult for us to follow the Lord and be obedient to Him um, because there was just this heaviness on us. Um, in India, it wasn't much different. Um, 
something that was very powerful, it was very revolutionary. And one of the places we went to was in Manali, in the mountains, and it's in a state called Machal Pradesh. And John, the son of Mandir that we stayed with, he told us that a lot of scary things had happened in Machal Pradesh, and um, things about evil spirits, and it's just a very, very devout Hindu place. Okay? We don't hear a lot about spiritual warfare in America. But it's real, and it's out there, and we fight a battle every day we get up. We, I think the hardest thing to do was to constantly be in the Word and um, be seeking out what the Lord had for us that day and to put on our armor and to make sure that we stayed close to one another, that we did not get angry and frustrated. We had to constantly pray without ceasing because we knew that we were, we were fighting a battle. And so I think the hardest thing, honestly, um, was to fight frustration with each other, was to fight irritability. Because um, when you don't have a lot of sleep, when you're in a hot place, and when you're, you're fighting the spiritual warfare, um, it's very easy to come by. Well, the Bible tells us that we our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. And, and I don't know if you've ever encountered someone who's been demon-possessed. Um, like Claire said, we don't see that a whole lot here. I've, I've heard of, of folks uh, talking about it. The only time that I've experienced it here in the United States was I went on a mission trip to the Olympics in Atlanta in 1996. And Jane had an experience and I had an experience. Um, mine was we were just telling people about Jesus. And one of the, the men, he was a homeless man downtown Atlanta, and uh, just they were asking us about, they were handing out free stuff all the time. And I started telling this guy about my pen. And the pen was uh, more than gold. And the whole idea was that a gold medal is going to tarnish, it's going to fade. Um, you know, you don't get to take that with you when you die. Nobody in the afterlife cares how many gold medals you have. What matters is whether you're prepared to be uh, with Jesus forever. And every time I mentioned Jesus, this this strange look came over his face, and he started speaking. And I remember thinking, this is the strangest thing I've ever seen. And I, I would go back and I'd start talking again. I would say, Jesus, And finally, he just looked up and said, no! And he walked off. And Jamie had a similar experience like that. It is very bizarre when, when you get into a realm of spiritual darkness. And where that happens, where it flourishes, is where people worship idols, where people worship humans, where people worship um, animals. Uh, and, and so that's what she's talking about in, in a Hindu culture um, that is very prevalent. You know, he talks about the incense sticks. Well, he finally came to a point that he realized they don't work. But what you're doing is you're inviting this spiritual presence into your life. And, and that's when demon possession happens. You know, I've, I've talked to a lot of teenagers through the years and said, if you're a Christian, you cannot be demon possessed. But if you are not a Christian and you start messing around with, with, um, Black magic with uh, with incantations with you know some folks it's just blatant Satan worship. You start messing around with that, you are asking spiritual beings to come invade your life, and that's where um, demon possession comes from. And so she was walking into, and as I was reading her emails, I was thinking about just the spirit of darkness that was hovering over that land. And so why why do you think why is it a big deal if you were to tell someone about Christ? 
and they become a Christian, how does that affect the others in the community? Why is that a big deal? Well, first of all, if you become a Christian um, in India, it is a process. Um, usually they, they believe in all of these different religions, but to believe solely in Jesus, that's one thing. And there's a lot of persecution that comes your way once you decide to follow Jesus alone. But, usually, as the instances that we encountered, the head of the household was becoming a Christian first. It was the father that hurt. And what a difference that made in his family. It was not easy. And the, actually, the man that I was talking to you about, the man who was once an alcoholic and did not believe in the Lord, he was praying that his family would come to know him. And, and, and all of them. And not just one. Um, but I think for one person to come and know Jesus, it affects, they start picking up what Jesus has called us to do, and that is to go and to preach and to talk about Jesus and to proclaim a message of salvation. So we would come to a house church, and the person who had become a Christian first in their neighborhood would have told us that everyone in their neighborhood is now a Christian. Because um, they have come to our house, they have heard about the Lord, and so they said, now we're moving to a new neighborhood so that more people can know. And I encountered this everywhere we went, but there was definitely persecution for those who did follow Jesus, um, because they were in a realm of spiritual darkness, and they had to fight the battle every day. But they also had the opportunity to be an example to all those around them. And I'll tell you what, when an Indian person comes to know Jesus, they don't keep it. And that was one of the most amazing things to see in their faces, was that now they had a call, and now they had a purpose, and they were going to tell everyone about the Lord. Tell us a little bit about um, your growing up compared to girls in that culture, their growing up. How is that? Um, the girls, it really depends on what level of society that you're in, honestly. Um, we went to very poor places. We went to very wealthy places. Now, the girls that live in very wealthy places honestly grow up a lot like we do, except um, most of them, if you're in the higher class in India, you are usually a Hindu, and they are very devout Hindu. Um, and so you, you grow up in this culture, and your, your belief is part of your culture. It is not your own. It is what your family has always done. Um, I would say that pretty much the girls in the wealthy, the wealthy section um, get anything they want and um, are very arrogant, the ones that I came by. Um, it was very hard to talk to them about the war. Now, the girls um, of a, a younger. It's so hard to explain the social structure in India. Uh, you have to go and find out for yourself. But those who are in more of a, of a poorer region have to work from the age of five, usually. Um, there are very, very many people who cannot work, adults that cannot work because of different deformities, different illnesses, diseases, or arrangements. Um, so whereas I grew up, um, yes, sometimes having to work, but nowhere near, <laughs> doing chores, okay, that's that comes by everybody. These girls were doing labor. And they were putting together shoes, they were working in factories, they were knitting and sewing, whatever they could do to raise money for their family. They were, they were hard working for that. Um, they had an opportunity to play every once in a while, 
but they do not have the opportunities that men have. First of all, our boys in that culture, usually the girls do never do not ever have a chance to go to school. They never get an education. They never learn English. They learn the language that they know, and that's it. And they can never write. They can never read. And so they are in this secluded area um, where really they stay at home the rest of their lives and they work for their family. Now, our church, our average person here in America uh, would not be considered rich. But in India, would we be considered rich? Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, now, compared to the top leaders in India, Probably not. But I'm talking about the average. The average Indian person, you would probably be ten times wealthier than they are. Um, the slums that we visited, you'll have people crammed next to each other in one city block. Um, there were dead people um, just laying among them because they had nowhere to put them. Uh, they had nowhere to go to the restroom, so they would just pop down and do it right there. Um, there were dead animals everywhere. There were carcasses. Um, it's very hard to see. And um, there's not a lot of people willing to go to those places. Our church's strategy, we say we exist to reach people who are far from God and connect them with God and with other people. So we're actually doing a decent job of reaching people who are far from God here in Palestine. Why should we care about people who are far from us? You know, India is a long way from us. What What would you say to us? Why should we care about those people? We are called to care about all that people, first of all. Um, you do have a lot of different cultures in Palestine. Um, all I'm speaking to that, and it doesn't have to be just that you look different. But we are called to go and tell the world about Jesus. That is just, that's what we're called to do. Why go to India? Why go to a different country? Why leave Palestine? If you don't, can you depend on everybody else in the world to go? You take up your calling first and you set an example for people. And people are going to see that and want to follow. There's not enough people in India right now. I can honestly tell you that. Now, I was in northern India the whole time. I did not travel into central or southern India. And it actually is a lot worse off there. Um, Pastor Nazir is the head of the Northern India Mission. And so he has pastors in every place. So really what we did was relieve the pastors that were already in place. Um, and southern India is not quite what is going on. Um, they need people there. There's so many tribes that you have never heard about Jesus before. And they need to hear. It is your calling. I can just put it that way. The Lord has called you to go. And start here. But go. And go tell people who have never heard. There's a lot, there's a greater opportunity for Americans to go because we have money. Other people don't have that, that opportunity. Um, but if you have the opportunity, um, go. People need to hear about you. I guess as we finish up this whole um, He's Got the Whole World in His Hands series, my question to you as we wrap this up is, is anyone going to be in heaven because of you? You know, last week we looked at, at uh, Ecuador, and we were looking at um, 
five, maybe 50 years ago, gave their lives for a whole culture. And if you just looked at it from the surface, you'd think those guys wasted their lives. But 50 years later, we still see the results of them going to Ecuador. And now there's a movie out, a major motion picture about their lives and what God has done. Um, I've known Colette for about 10 years. Um, how old are you? You're 20, okay. So they they came into the church where I was youth minister, and, and I saw her grow up. And the memory that she's standing up here talking today, I was thinking about, you know, back when we started getting serious, our youth group started getting serious about people who were far from God. And we would have these citywide rallies here in Palestine, and we do them on Saturday night once a month. And always the Wednesday before, I would take our teenagers, the core group of teenagers, and I'd say, we got to pray, we got to do some spiritual warfare. Because the, the eternal destinies of, of teenagers in this city depend on what we're doing. And I remember Colette and several of her friends, I'd say, we need to pray in this room, but we need people to go into the worship center and get on their knees uh, on the altar. We had people that would walk around the perimeter of the church, and it was one of the coolest things that I've ever seen, is teenagers just falling down on their faces before God and saying, God, if you will do something, you can make a difference for all eternity. And, you know, we had, we had some nights um, where we'd have 10 teenagers come to Christ, but we had one night where 94 kids prayed to receive Christ. You remember that, don't you? And we would go in, we'd, we'd take the hymnals out of the pews, so, you know, people wouldn't mark on hymnals, and, you know, we'd clean up trash and all that stuff just because we really believed that, that death is not the end of your soul. We believe that there's something on the other side of death. And, uh, and Colette caught the vision. And, and it makes, it, it warms my heart to see her going to India. But the job's not done. She's been telling me. It's not done. And so I know God's going to call somebody from here. It may be one person. It may be ten of us. We may take a whole mission trip to India sometime. We're going to have to start planning these because we're talking about going to Ecuador. We're talking about going to Uganda and now India. Um, We can't do it all, but we can do something. And so I want you to take your registration cards and just fill them out real quickly. And then I want you to turn it over the back like we always do. And and I'm going to challenge you to respond to what God has said to you today. So take just a second and fill those out.